past the hour and you're up to date. This is Chris Fortier, WATR News. And welcome back to a special Friday edition of Talk of the Town here on WATR. Up next, the voices of the rising generation are back talking everything Waterbury and beyond. It's Elizabeth Bullard, Charnel Bush, Bilal Tajaldeen, and Dimitri Coles. Happy post-Turkey Day, y'all. This is Liz, um, host of Coffee and Combos, And what, community commentator? I'm going to go with it. It's a nice <laughs> title. Why not? <laughs> and I'm here with um, some lovely folks that you all know and remember from past shows. Um, again, my name is Liz, and I'm going to pass it to my friend over here. How are you doing, Dimitri? I'm doing great, and I'm doing even better that I'm not going to be in those Black Friday lines and my life in danger. Oh, you don't miss that, <laughs> the, the nice Black Friday bustle? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm doing fine again. Uh, my name's Dimitri, um, uh, president and co-founder of Waterbury Strong, and just happy to be here again. Yeah, I, um, I'm Charnel Bush. It's Black Friday every day in my house. <laughs> I kid. No, but uh, I'm a community member, former uh, state senate candidate, and I'm just happy to be with my friends here on this uh, this fun day. Good morning, everyone. Bilal Tajaldeen. Happy to be here with our friends as well. Awesome. And Bilal, you have a game. But, you know, for those who are just like, oh, my gosh, we have these moderates and these liberals on here. What are they going to talk about? <laughs> right? So... <laughs> Maybe some of us are conservative, right? Blue matter. No, I'm joking. Let me stop. Okay. But, um, you know, we're, we're going to cover, right, it's, it's the day after Thanksgiving. And, you know, right, we might have had some difficult conversations, even maybe bef- going forward, right? You want to have, like, conversations about things that are going on. And it's, it's always this question that I think we all um, have is, how do you talk about that? So we're going to explore that as well as take some calls and talk policy at the 12 o'clock. So I'm going to give you that number, then I'll pass it to you below for our games, which you all know and love. So our call-in number for 12 is 203-757-1320. That's 203-757-1320. And Bilal, what's the game you have for us? So being the day after Thanksgiving, we thought our opening game conversation would be if the city was hosting a potluck, right, a, a citywide Friendsgiving, what would you bring to the potluck? <laughs> What would you bring? And so I'll, I'll go first since I thought of it. I had some extra time to, to think. I would say if we were having a, a potluck, I would have to bring something desserty, right? And so that comes from in Bully Manor uh, when we do the Winters the Pits event down in Hamilton Park, we usually provide the s'mores, right? So I think people are used to associating oh. Bully Manor with something sweet. We've got Sweet Maria's in the neighborhood, Brooklyn Bakery over on Reedville. So I think pro- definitely something desserty. What about the rest of you? What do you think? What would you bring? Either something that you like making, something you're used to making, or something your neighborhood makes. So um, we have this has to be made. Um, <laughs> what is? I, I mean, I'm curious. I, like, I want to hear more. I, feel like I don't want to do that to anybody at the potluck. I don't want to put people through food poisoning. Yeah, like that's that. fair. That's like fair. That, yeah. If you're not a good cook, you can ask someone to make it or buy it. You're the cups okay. and plates okay. guy. Okay. Well, actually, I think I, I do believe I am a better cook than I just let on right there. Um, so I think my signature dish right now is uh, s- salmon burgers, actually. Ooh. Right, right. Okay. So making those from scratch. Um, I will put it up against any restaurant, any chef, any person um, who wants to challenge me on that. Mm. But um, that, that's my signature dish right there, salmon burgers. 
Sounds great. Sorry for the people who are allergic to seafood. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> what else are we bringing? We've got dessert. We've got salmon. I know what I'm bringing, but quick aside, Bilal, can you make the feed public? Uh, that's live. So <laughs> if you're on social media on Facebook, we are also going live. So we want to see your comments. Um, I... <laughs> am an avid cornbread stuffing girl okay uh i love it because you're so many different things that you can do so i would bring cornbread stuffing because i think that you know depending on the people in the room the culture you want to represent you can always do something right so if you want to have something with a little little flair maybe put some like chorizo in there you want to go a little bit more italian put a little italian sausage maybe some mushrooms right so uh just really very versatile so i'm going with the cornbread stuffing what about you, Chernow? I like that. So I, I grew up with a very uh, southern grandma, so cornbread stuffing would be a thing. But we didn't stuff our birds, so it would be dressing. Uh, right? yes. So, you would. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I love that. I made some of that yesterday. But uh, I would probably bring it to toss-up, and people will argue with me about whether or not it belongs on a kitchen table. If you're a black person, typically it is on your Thanksgiving table. Uh, mac and cheese, baked, oh. of course. Mm-hmm. Um it is a Thanksgiving dish. That or candied yams. I, I've oh. been told I make a really good candied yam. It's my grandma's recipe, so I would bring a bunch of that. Fatten everybody up. Get them really, you know, wrapped up for the winter there. Which <laughs> wrapped I, up for the winter. <laughs> Absolutely. Which I, I think it's like a good segue, right? So, like, I, I find, right, when you're talking about conversations that might be uh, – so. Well, no, I'll do another side. So there was, <laughs> so Tony Baker is this, com- uh, this yes. comedian. You, yeah, you saw it. So there was this um, wedding and it turned into this brawl with like eight family members, right? And my belief is if there was good food on the table, you wouldn't have been fighting because who wants to fight and leave the food, right? So I believe you have to have like, when you're trying to have difficult conversations where especially you're going to disagree or it might be passionate, being able to have some nice, warm, filling food is is a really good way to have those discussions um, because, you know, who wants to, to leave the table, you know, or storm out when you're eating something good. But um, I just take it with me. so sure now like you know we're all in spaces and so we could also use this time to kind of explore the spaces that we're in you know how do you have conversations that might not be popular in in the rooms or the spaces that you're in did you ask me first yeah 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 since you said you walk away with your plate how how do we get you to stay with your plate oh no so i'd say i would do that but i I don't do that I'm, i'm a person who doesn't mind like discomfort and confrontation um but for me I am probably a lot more liberal than my older relatives are. I grew up in the church, so everyone, like, people would argue black folks vote blue a lot, and they do, but they are also somewhat conservative. So I have a lot of conversations about dignity, mm-hmm. um, and that's usually where I base my conversations on. It has nothing to do with whether or not we'll end up on the same spot, but as long this, the way I preface it is that if we can't have conversations where human personhood and dignity is at the center of how we approach it and service and love is at the center of how we approach these topics Then I refuse to engage with you. Um, so when we have conversations like specifically in religious pieces, like around like abortion or around like queer and trans neighbors, we have those conversations. If people aren't seen as people, mm-hmm. then mis- then Mr. Bush, I've reverted back to work, but then Charnel's not in, <laughs> Charnel's mm-hmm. not in the conversation actively. But if we can do that, I'm willing to hear how you feel, where your convictions and beliefs are based in, and then we can move from there and get a better understanding, even if we don't agree at the end. Okay. Um, well, a little background story of what I'm about to say. Like, I feel like the most, the game-changing, like, turning point when it came to these Thanksgiving conversations 
was like my first uh, Thanksgiving holiday or after, um, or from college, you know? So it came, I came back kind of what I would call like almost radicalized, almost. So it was just like, <laughs> I came back almost radicalized. And I came back and I came, I was like, I'm not celebrating Thanksgiving anymore. It wasn't a dinner between the pilgrims and Native Americans. Yo, it was a slaughter fest <laughs> and everything. And you guys should cancel it and everything. And then my whole family's looking at me and they're just like, Dimitri, like, I mean, we know. It was your, yeah, just, right. The rest <laughs> of the family's like, yeah, we've always known you this. You always know <laughs> this. <laughs> it was like, we just used it as it is used to get together, together as a family, yeah. you know? And then I was just like, wow, you guys knew this the entire time. It left me in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, that's what it was. And, you know, my personality, my family would tell you I like to debate and ask why and everything. Like, why do you do this? Like, your answer is not just black and white. There has to be some gray area mm-hmm. in that. So I... I Always used to, you know, when you get in, like, a heated argument, you're not going to throw uh, punches at each other, but it's just like, all right, it dies down, everybody doesn't know what to say next to mm-hmm. bring the conversation mm-hmm. back. So um, I kind of adjusted that to more of an educational mm. um, way of thinking now. So instead of me saying, you know, you're wrong, it's like, did you know that this was happening? And then it dives into a more philosophical um, and more question-based conversation at that in which everybody around who participated in the conversation um, they walk away with new information. Mm. And hopefully my goal is that they change their opinions based on that, just like I did. So mm. um, that's my approach when it comes to these conversations. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that slight plug, right? If you're looking for educational content, you why don't you turn into Coffee and Combos with Liz? <laughs> the, <laughs> the podcast where we talk about difficult things from an educational lens. So uh, thank you for walking me into that that little ad right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bilal, what about you? Because um, you often are dealing with the financial side, too, sometimes um, in some of your conversations and you're in a lot of different spaces and you're you're advocating for so many different things and so many different um, people and organizations. How do you kind of have that that talk when things are um, whether the thought is the minority or people don't want to hear it? Like, how does that go for you? Yeah, well, I think I think traditionally I don't really remember having a lot of heated conversations around holiday tables and I think that's because a lot of my family when they immigrated here from Lebanon they didn't immerse themselves necessarily in in local politics or US politics mm-hmm. so those mm-hmm. kinds of conversations never came up and if they were having heated conversations around um things that were going on in Lebanon I'm not sure I would have picked up that that's what they were talking about I would say now more recently I tend to think of it as um you know this moment in time is mm-hmm. this a, is this a moment where i i need to change someone's mind mm. or, I, or i feel like i have to um and for the most part that answer um for the past you know 5 or 6 years has been no not really you know this isn't a time where i have to i feel compelled to change someone's mind on something i i think right like every everything doesn't have to be a battle right like and i think Sometimes that's an important thing to remember because especially when you're passionate about some something and you know it's going to help, like you want to change everyone's mind. But like sometimes folks aren't there. They're not willing to listen. And so I appreciate that advice. Um, Bilal, anything in our chat? I'll just do a quick little pulse and see how are things going over there. Yeah. So it looks like we had a a comment earlier saying that. Uh, we did a disservice by not saying someone's going to bring empanadas um, and that Waterbury has more taco trucks than any other town, which is probably true. And I would say we also have the best taco trucks. 
Um, I wouldn't bring an empanada because I can't make that. <laughs> Fair, it's true. Not where I grew, it's not true. my, it's not my culture. But we could support can, a local. We, you know, we support a local up. business, right? Bringing things, um, absolutely. And actually, we have someone in the comment section saying hello from Newfoundland, Newfoundland, oh, Canada. So pretty cool. We've got some streaming listeners. I just had a geography lesson because I yeah. don't know where I thought Newfoundland was before, but now I know. Yeah, just north. <laughs> I knew it was up there, right? <laughs> um. Yeah, but otherwise, we are streaming on Facebook if you want to catch us there. Or, uh, like Liz said earlier, we'll be on calls at 1. Absolutely. Or at noon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah at, at 1. At, no. at noon. noon. At, at noon. At 1, we'll, we'll be having some more turkey. But um, kind of tell us a little bit about, like, filling in the listeners about your, you know, prospective roles and, um, you know, what it does a successful conversation look like, right? Kind of transitioning a little bit, you know. Um, we'll, we'll dabble into the, the, the nitty gritty of when things go bad, but like, what um, does a good con- conversation look like? I think on my end, like kind of what Dimitri was saying, like when people come away with new information, I think part of it is for me getting people to understand the root of why you believe what you believe and how much of that is you and your own convictions and how much of it is what you've been taught. Mm. Like, have you interrogated, investigated this on your own ever? Mm-hmm. Or did you take what you what you were told? Everyone else around you believed it, so you thought it must be true, and, w- and walked with it or ran with it. Uh, so I think when we have conversations around, like, well, you know, I never met this type of person, or I've never been in that type of situation too often that it's ever mattered to me. And so, like, start like holding yourself accountable to the information that you receive and what you also then disperse to other people. So I think when they're like, oh, I never thought I got to look into that, or you know, hey, yeah, that's actually that makes sense to me. I think those are successful conversations. Again, like my, I'm like, I believe like Jesus, right? I'm not meant to be like a behavior modifier. Like I'm not mm-hmm. trying to get you to shift everything that you do to reflect me, but I do want you to be able to challenge yourself in your own way of thinking every, like every time you receive information, like, is this true? Is this real for me? And I'll go, um, just to piggyback off of that. I think for what that entails is kind of trying to look at the other person's perspective or see if you could um, put yourselves in their shoes. I know there's a lot of conversations, you know, a lot of hard conversations that, you know, the community have had overall or you might just had with, you know, friends or family that have to do along the lines with, like, some cultural things that, you know, to you, you well, to me, in my opinion, don't really translate to 2022, you know, and how I view um, um, those topics. But um, I find myself asking, you know, why does that person think that way? Mm. You know, and then if there's no logical basis to that, I try to get them to explore that. And then I try to um, I try to think that way on myself um, with with myself, actually. So um, if I find myself like, you know, I try to be fair across the board as, as objective as possible. You know, how did I get to the conclusion on this? Let me apply this strategy to this topic that I'm not too familiar with or not as open to or don't have, I don't know, um, all the necessary information to make a clear-cut objective judgment call on that. Um, it's a lot of self-reflection. It's, it's a lot of self-reflection, too. You know you really have to try to root out your biases. Absolutely. You know, um, you have to become a little bit more open-minded. Um, and then, believe it or not, and I think this is the hardest step in actually engaging in conversation is you have to unlearn a lot of things, Mm. you know, because um, a lot of the things that we have in our mind are conditioned, you know, um, there are something that we're, we're products of our environment, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean we're in the most open 
in healthy environments, you know, so that self-reflection and trying to get yourselves out of those, um, out of those attitudes and those moods and those, you know, um, stereotypes or projections is actually the hardest part. But once you can do all that, um, conversations, hard conversations become quite a bit easier. You know, just kind of mm-hmm. piggybacking off of you talking about the why, um, that is very important. I had um, Dr. Donna DeHan on the podcast. Um, she's the diversity doctor. Um, and she's across the pond over there mm-hmm. in, you know, um, England and such. And we, we were talking, and she had brought up about the why, mm-hmm. right? Asking yourself, okay, like, why are you feeling this way? Why is, you know, you know, and that can help to lead, like, okay, why does this feeling rise up in you Mm -hmm. when you're talking about this? Whether like, okay, boys can't wear dresses. Okay, why? Because da-da-da-da-da. Okay, why is that, right? Getting to the root of it, understanding why is this this fear or this anger rising up? So you can address that. Because sometimes it's really not the the issue, but it's the emotion that is Mm -hmm. rising up. And if we can address that, then we can really have that real conversation about what's going on. Whether it's like, well, this is my conviction. All right, well, then like, Let's talk about it from a space of, of that area um, and, and how that, that shows up in the space and so on and so forth. But um, I, I love that, that reminder of focusing on, on the why. Um, mm-hmm. What about for you, Bilal? Like how, you know, what does a, a great conversation look like for you? Yeah, so I, I'm actually reminded of the first time when we came on the air. Um, and I remember we, we tried to give ourselves uh, titles that were not based on our work or our job. And I remember mine uh, was theory buff. <laughs> And I'm, I'm reminded of that now because, Dimitri, when you're talking about a logical conclusion or how to become more thoughtful or self-reflective, I, I tend to think of our ideas we have now, right, as being part of a tradition of ideas. And sometimes it, it's, a, it's useful for me to say, okay, well, I think this thing, right, mm-hmm. and sort of go through the line. Like, well, why do I think it? Not as in does it feel right to me, but – how did I receive the information? What was the source? Mm-hmm. How has it evolved over the years? Right. So like Dimitri, when you said you came back from college and you're like, well, I actually, I, now I know what this uh, Thanksgiving holiday is about. And that's not what I thought it was. Right. There's a reason why our entire culture supports a narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it could be around selling things. It could be, uh, it could be advertising. It could be media. Right. But these things have um, they're not accidental. Our ideas are not accidental. Our beliefs aren't accidental. You take it in from the world around you, like you were saying. So I think when I'm having a successful conversation, um, it would be somewhat that, that everyone walks away a little bit more informed about the thing they thought. Right. It doesn't mean that they changed their mind, but maybe they, they saw what the tradition of the idea was who supports it you know in what ways do they support it and you could at least you could at least say well i still believe it whatever it is and now i've at least had an opportunity to look around the idea and sort of see does it fit with what i want um but all of our ideas i think are, you know we'd all do well to be more reflective on on where our values come from mm. and the, and the contexts they come from Absolutely. Um, I think that is um, really important to reflect on your values and where they come from. And I think we can jump in more of that after the break in how how do you use this context, this awareness to facilitate conversations, not only in your family spaces, but in community spaces and larger spaces. So we'll be back right after this break. Healthy eating doesn't have to take up a lot of time. Matter of fact, it can be done on the go with the Blend Jet 2 Portable Blender. 
So now any fast food temptations that strike can be pushed to the side as you blend up a delicious and nutritious protein shake or smoothie. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita at the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With so many different colors and patterns, you will have so many options to choose from. You might want to get more than one. So if you are interested in getting your BlendJet 2, grab yours today. And make sure that you use the promo code COFFEECONVOSLIZ12 to get 12% off and free two-day shipping. So again, that is Coffee Convos Liz 12 to get 12% off. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code Coffee Convos. Liz 12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop now and get the best deal ever. Welcome back, y'all. It is Liz here um, on this WATR Talk of a Town takeover. Um, we're very grateful for this spot, right? It's been a couple of years that we've been doing this, and so it's been always a pleasure. I'm here with some wonderful folks who um, I'll reintroduce. I have Dimitri, Charnel, and Bilal, and um, we're, we're talking this first hour about, you know, how do you have these difficult conversations um, especially, right, we, we've just come to the holiday time after political season. Sometimes people are in their feelings. Um, and so we're going to divvy into, like, you know, what does that look like? How do you how do you be that change agent or that cool head in these conversations, um, not only in your households but in your community? But before we jump into that, um, we are taking calls at the 12 p.m. hour. That's 12 p.m. Eastern. And the phone number to do that is 203 757 1320 that's 203-757-1320 and um i'm kind of interesting interested in in hearing y'all's take right so we um have come off of this election cycle where we had this uh referendum on the ballot right that's the right word is that the right word Refer- yeah. okay yeah. right sometimes you know sometimes my speech it'd be like it's a thing on the ballot <laughs> <laughs> and it was asking about marijuana which Kind of was a little divided as far as, you know, uh, the two questions off the top of my head were, you know, should we sell it and should people be able to to utilize it or use it within the city? And um, folks, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a little divided as far as I think it was like, yes for use, no for sale, right? Mm-hmm. For me, it's a little confusing because I'm like, wait, we can use it, but we can't sell it. I would rather folks have better business ownership and be able to do that. But OK, whatever. Um And like it's over the course of a few years, it has been very divided, right? We started off, you know, no, we're never going to do this. We're not having this in our city. So with this new change, 
it can be a little contentious. And I'm kind of curious on either your thoughts on the referendum, but also how do you have these conversations um, when people are like, this should have never happened or, you know, things like that. Um, so I was looking at the uh, the official election results um, before we came in this morning, and I believe the sale of marijuana was approved here in the city um, by about 500 votes. But then, which was kind of surprising to me, the production didn't pass by like about 40 votes, actually. So, um, like I said, I'm a person who likes to know why uh, on a lot of things. So I, I was wondering... And I started to inquire about, you know, why exactly do we, does the city of Waterbury not view marijuana or why they view marijuana as something negative mm-hmm. or something that they're cautious with? Is it something they want to gradually bring along to see how it impacts um, the city? So, you know, a lot of thoughts came to my head. You know, maybe, uh, you know, they're worried about, you know, drugs in Waterbury, um, this idea of crime, of uh, fentanyl, whatever that are, you know, are in the streets right now. Um, but then, you know, I remembered back when I think it was, was it the zoning commission that picked the moratorium? Was it? Yes. It yep. was, they did. Right. I remember going to, I don't know if mm-hmm. you were there and I don't know if you guys were there, but um, it, was, it was via zoom. And one lady, I believe she got up there and she made the argument that marijuana was uh, still being viewed as a, a, gateway. a gateway drug. Yep. And I think that she par- partially blamed her son's um, passing on his introduction into mm-hmm. narcotics through marijuana being the first um, 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 drug. Now, I'm not a marijuana expert at all, um, but, you know, I've read articles and I don't know if they're true or not because, you know, you got to kind of flesh out if things mm-hmm. are agenda-based or biased or everything. But the majority of the articles that I ran um, didn't necessarily prove that marijuana was a gateway drug. And then it brought me back when I was in fifth grade going through the D.A.R.E. program. Yes. <laughs> and then, like, they were telling I won, us. <laughs> I won a gift card for my D.A.R.E. essay. Yeah. <laughs> I came in third place Try in my, my D.A.R.E. Like, um, drug awareness poster or whatever. I remember that. <laughs> um, but they were definitely telling me at 10 years old that marijuana was the gateway drug, right? So there's a lot of conflicting information on that. And, I'm, and that's what... You know, based on what I experienced, what I would say is the most difficult conversation to have around around marijuana. Like, if the articles that are saying that it's not a gateway drug and science is saying it's not a gateway drug, like, how do you have a conversation? Mm. Or should you even have the conversation with that lady whose son, who she believes died due to her exposure, her his early exposure to, to marijuana? Like, how do you even or should you even have that conversation to begin with? Mm. You know, I mean, that's it's politics. You know, it's the unfortunate reality of, you know, the way our society works. Um, but mm-hmm. it is a very yeah. difficult conversation. I, I have uh, thoughts on that part, but I want to open it up for um, anyone else who wants to speak. You know, so last night, one of the one of the things that came up around the table was the fact that I think probably for our generation and the generations above us, our parents were probably the last group of parents who still maybe smoked and drank a little bit during pregnancy. Right. And, and to keep my comment now. Now, the reason why, though, you know, someone said it around the table that, like, you can't necessarily blame our parents or grandparents for smoking during pregnancy because there was literally no way of knowing right. that it was harmful. There wasn't any there was the science wasn't published and and the studies weren't done. And moreover, advertising and tobacco lobbyists made sure that the information wasn't 
out there, right? right? Because they didn't want to do anything that would stop the sales. So going back to the idea of like following our tradition of ideas, right? It's okay to have, um, you know, it's okay to have a cigarette, smoke during pregnancy. It's fine. There's no problems, right? Decades go by. Well, now we know that there are some problems. So maybe don't smoke as much during pregnancy. And now it's like, you know, when, when our friends in our age group are pregnant, it's like no more gluten, no more coffee, no, no more no more sugar, no smoking, no drink, nothing. That's why people who are pregnant are miserable. Right. <laughs> well, well, and I don't know how miserable or miserable they aren't. But and at the same time, you've got people who are like, well, I want to be I want to have a baby soon. So I'm going to start taking prenatals like before I'm even like we are so we've swung sort of the other side of, of our awareness and our understanding of how these things impact our bodies. And so when you look at things like what's the difference between having a liquor store in every neighborhood, mm. right? Mm. And and how how regularly, you know, whenever we celebrate, we drink. Whenever we're sad, we drink. Whenever we're anything, we drink, right? And that's not a gateway into yeah. a substance, right? Or a misuse of a substance. But marijuana, you go from marijuana to fentanyl immediately, right? Yeah. That's, the, that's the narrative or the mm-hmm. perception. It's really just about our, our own cultural values and our exposure to the right information. But there's, Dimitri, to your point, I've never seen a study that shows um, in, in a significant way that um, marijuana leads to, to hard or fatal drug use. You know, and you know, to piggyback off that, um, Bilal, I think that, you know, our generation, you know, us and those after, we're more um, receptive to new information and, and, and new data. Like, I know a lot of people who are disengaged in politics or whatever, but you no, know, if they're using marijuana, they know a lot of facts about marijuana. Like, that's what it is. So you could having a conversation, and back when this whole legalization or decriminalized mm-hmm. decriminalization debate was happening, they would tell you, oh, no one, I don't know anybody who died from marijuana. It doesn't do anything on the body. This study, that study, that study. So that was something they were passionate about. And, you know, and, you know, um, but what I realized with the older generation, and this includes, like, my parents and, you know, and, you know, my aunts and uncles, um, they're more of it just is what it is you know um so when we talk about conversations about mental health and everything like that um you know when we talk about conversations about um um identification and orientation um you know we're more receptive to the change and they're not mm. um i um yeah. No. Um, I have a question, but Sharna, I want to um, allow you, if you have thoughts, to to speak on that before I introduce a new question. I always have thoughts, but <laughs> I I don't know. When it comes to, I know we kind of started with the conversation around like the question on the ballot, how you have those conversations. Um, when I was having conversations, when I was door knocking, um, it's I want to say it's heartbreaking to have to say how many conversations I had around drugs. When you're talking to people in the community, whether they're afraid that their kids, young kids are going to be introduced to them, um, but namely they're naming things like opioids, like fentanyl. They're not naming like weed and, um, sorry, marijuana and what they and how they're going to get there. So if we're talking gateway drugs, like Bilal, to the Bilal's point, nicotine, alcohol are also on that list that Dare gave us, right? Mm-hmm. But they have, zoning has no problem putting them at the corner of every street that we mm-hmm. live in in Brooklyn, has North End. Like, they have no problem selling the cheapest at state minimum, mm-hmm. signs going up everywhere. <laughs> um, so when, I think when it comes to marijuana and, to, again, to Bilal's point and, to, and Dimitri's point about older generations, 
a lot of the information that they had, one, I don't know if my mom was smoking or drinking when she was pregnant with me, but like, I, I don't know, that was 1989. I think the information was there at that point. But when we're talking about them, a lot of their issue with it is like anecdotal, right? Mm. The stories that they're being told to each other, it's more of the, you know, the storytelling, the passing down of information in proximity, right? To them, marijuana is like heroin because if you are in a place where heroin is being used, you might smell marijuana. I don't know. And so having conversations with people around drugs and the strength of drugs and the class of drugs and scheduling of drugs, I've had conversations with our state reps um, about their own and some heated ones um, about how they went from right to from uh, marijuana to heroin and saying, well, I lost some of my best friends to heroin. And I'm like, that's so sad. I mean, I lost my mom and family members to, to opioid addiction as well. However, like she didn't die of marijuana, right? She, so we have to start, again, interrogating the information that we get, understanding where it's based out of. Is it an emotion? Is it this very visceral response because of your own grief and loss? And why, if that's the case, are we penalizing, namely, young people for this? Why are we still holding people to this impossible standard when we know that this drug is not as dangerous as the things that people can walk into a store and buy right now? Mm-hmm. So. A lot of the conversation has to be with, like, you got to break away from what your mama and your grandmama was telling you. Like, sometimes you got to break away from what Dare was telling you because who was funding Dare? You know, like all these, <laughs> like all these questions, sure. you know, and why were they funding Dare? And where, and like, was Dare in certain communities and was it not in others? It's like military recruiting, but that's another conversation for another day. Uh-huh. But like mm-hmm. that, like, you not have the conversations. You got to just figure out, like, is this based in fact or is this all feeling? Mm. Mm. And, um, I want to jump into the generations and the openness, but I want to kind of close out this by addressing kind of the tail end of your your question, Dimitri, about, you know, this woman, you know, presents and she's like, you know, someone I I know has has died because of drugs. And I believe that this was a gateway, right? Like that's a a really real feeling, right? Uh And I think it's really easy sometimes folks, especially who are passionate or trying to push their agenda to be like, well, that's not true. But for her experience, that feels true, right? Uh-huh. So the thing, in my opinion, that you you debate or you discuss is, right, from an empathy lens of like, yeah, I know that's really hard and, you know, I wish that there were more programs. This is how we can do this safely. Uh-huh. Or this is what we have found following so many people passing from substance, right? Really, like, acknowledging, like, yeah, like, this is a really sucky thing that you went through. I hear you. And I don't disagree with your experience because someone's experience is their experience. But this is what we know on this, Mm -hmm. right? So having that, I believe, that empathy and that duality of I can acknowledge your hurt while also understanding the current facts, Um, but I'm really interested in this generation thing because we, we have a lot of folks, especially locally, who um, especially data shows the older generation votes, right? Um, and we can go into the myriad of reasons why that is. But I've always wondered about this, about, you know, older generations and openness, because we always say that, well, the older generation, da, 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 da. And I'm always kind of like perplexed because my mother is 69 and she is still fine, y'all. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> Miss Bev knows what's up. She knows what's up. And we, we have these conversations and we have this this openness. And it's, for me, very confusing and conflicting and frustrating when I go out. And I'm expecting that same response to be able to disagree agreeably, to be able to have these conversations. And they're like, in my generation. And I'm like, listen, 
I have told my mother about change in, in, in slang and language because generationally they're different and she's just open to that. You know, I remember, you know, just having conversations about how we just treat people and, you know, cause again, that's different through generations and her just being open and her even just being like, listen, if I'm out here while and just let me know, right. And just <laughs> be able to have those conversations. And so for me, I'm like, Young people, it's our job to train our parents, right? The uh-huh. same way they train us, right? We got to kind of train them like, no, grampy, uh, no, mama, this is what we're doing. But, you know, what is your perspective on this? Like, how do we help the older generation have openness? Is it, <laughs> see that face chart now? Is, are they a lost cause? Like, how do, how do we bring the older generation to the conversation? <laughs> Chanel, are you going to answer okay. that? Oh, man. Or do you um, want me to buy you 30 seconds? No, I can, I can do it. Because I, I think... If we're going to, like, Dimitri would say, the like, I think it was you or Liz, the why, right? Mm-hmm. Why is this? I think a lot of the fear for older folks, especially ones who are staunchly on one side of an issue and refuse to move, um, a lot of it comes from then having to question so much of the other beliefs they've held for mm. so long. It's easy, like, okay, I can, I can believe that marijuana is not as bad, maybe, right? But then it has to, you start have to have conversations about the choices you've made in the past right. and people you've cut off and, you know, people you've ostracized or mistreated and things you've missed out on because of mm. these thoughts and feelings, you know? And there's a lot of unpacking that happens that might make your life feel less valuable, less rich um, than it does if you held your those those beliefs. And so I know when I was growing up, I had a very freewheeling mama, right? Mm-hmm. For all, like she, like obviously she was also she was uh, struggling with addiction, but she was also like fun, a big woman, loud, brash, you know all that stuff. And I had very religious aunts and uncles and grandma. But my grandma would always say when all the kids were acting a fool, you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, right? There, everything that we're experiencing as a younger generation, the older generation has experienced, it just felt different and looked differently. Mm -hmm. So as young people. It's our job, and I use this with my my students at school, is to be as clear as possible with what we see and what we feel, right? To be concise, as using little words as possible, because people will tone you out the older they get and the younger they are, and to be consistent with your delivery and what the information is. And I think if when people see that this is a conviction, this is the truth, this is what it looks like, these are the details of that, this is how I have to move because this is 2022 and not 1974, Mm -hmm. Like the world looks different. We're hyper connected. People feel things and everyone knows it immediately Mm -hmm. versus I have to go to church to find out about this. Like once you do those things, I think then you can train, quote unquote, your parents um, or have those conversations with older people. But the the part has to be that old folks at some point have to understand that they don't hold all all mm-hmm. knowledge, experience, and wisdom in their own hands like some of them think they because they're 70 years old, you know? And so part of that has to be an openness on both sides. And I think for that to happen, there needs to be relationship first. Mm. Um, and uh, what I say is uh, um, there is definitely a place for the older generation as people who contributed to society um, as people who are sources of knowledge, where I think the disconnect comes in is I feel like they take the changes that we want to fight for as an attack on their legacy. Mm-hmm. For example, Say right. That. So when it comes to voting, for example, right. Um, I, I, I look. I am very adamant about voting, right. Um, and especially I can bring this like to the black community mm-hmm. for um to put in the best perspective. Um, 
you know, I know Charnel mentioned before, I don't know, in an example or he was making a statement that, you know, you know, black people usually vote blue and stuff like that, you know, which is the reality. It has been since like like nineteen sixties or something around mm-hmm. there. Right. So when I talk to, you know, the older people in my family, it's just like, you just don't go out there and vote blue just because, right. you know, because it's blue and it's what you're used to. Because mm-hmm. at, at the at the end of the day, you know, it weakens the power of our vote. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what, That was my argument. Um, and then, you know, you're met with, you know, well, your ancestors, you know, they fought for you to, to have the right to vote and everything in that conversation. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I understand that, mm-hmm. you know, but... Um, they didn't, you know, fight for our right to vote just to throw it away, mm-hmm. you know, every single mm-hmm. election cycle and everything like that. So um, it comes like a personal attack, like, you know, we did this and you guys are trying to come at it. And I trust me and my family. I'm just like, you guys completely ignored the environmental effects of everything you guys did, all these fossil fuels and everything. Like that was global warming and stuff like that. You know, the way that you discipline, like on a like on a more small scale level, the kids added to a lot of mental health mm-hmm. and things like that. So when we have the newer generation, when they're like, you know, I don't want to discipline my kids the way that I was disciplined because it had. That's why they're so bad. No, exactly, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Well, ooh, that kid needs a, a whooping or something like that. You know that type of thing. But that's like a generational clash right then and there. And you know, um, I just, I hope. And, you know, I wish I'm still hopeful about this, that when we bring the new information, the increased scientific studies, you know, um, the more political analysis, mm-hmm. you know, and um, to the conversation that they're willing to say, you know what, like, um, you guys are right. Because they love to tell us that they want us to take the next steps anyways. Right. So, I mean, so that they're open to that and saying that, you know, um, and we have to say to them that, you know, this is not your fault. Yeah. You know, it just might not have been something that you considered at the time. Mm-hmm. And you didn't consider it at the time because you didn't have the information, mm-hmm. right? You didn't, maybe you didn't have time to research. Maybe mm-hmm. you weren't able to go to school and get a college degree or mm-hmm. something like that. You know I mean? I'm like one of the first people, like my generation was like the first generation that you get a college degree, like mm-hmm. in my family, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, that's just the reality. Right. So. Right. Um, Bilal, um, we're almost at a break, but I want you to you know, be, you know, what are your thoughts um, how how do we bridge you know the generations and have that openness? Is it too late? Do we just not have them at no. the table for Thanksgiving? No, it, you know. Well, so I'm thinking about. Um, I I count myself to be very lucky to have um, a lot of intergenerational friendships, and like and like genuine friendships. Like yeah. and and some of them are like people I used to work with and don't work with now, and some of them are my neighbors, and some of them are you know. Like, I have relationships with some friends' parents, even though I don't necessarily have relationships with those friends anymore, because they're authentic friendships, right? And that, I think, has has been um, a really great addition to how I see – how I sort of see the world around me. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to the generational piece – you know, Dimitri, like, you you mentioned it. Like, the generations before us are the reasons why we have anything, obviously, Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's – I'm not sure if it's necessarily, you know, bridging a generational divide because I actually don't think that the generational divide is that real, right? I think it's one of those things where, again, there are these narratives that we 
feed into and consume that says like you know how many articles you remember seeing like millennials have destroyed the housing market millennials <laughs> have destroyed restaurants millennials have destroyed like we have single-handedly destroyed every product and industry millennials on the aren't planet. buying diamonds right millennials, <laughs> millennials aren't buying houses well guess what it. we'd love to we would love to but, but we can't mm-hmm. right and so and so the the divide i think is is arbitrary because when you when you have authentic relationships, like you were just saying, um, Charnel, about about how to build how to bridge the gap, some of it comes with the recognition that like there are older adults in your neighborhood and in your life who fought the war on drugs the same way we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? They that's why we have the term war on drugs, right? That's how we have our frameworks because there are generations who have been working on this their whole life, right? And so when we I think it's helpful to say this idea here is not new, mm-hmm. right? Not only am I saying it now, but people your own age have been saying it for 40 years, right? Here's the here's the legacy of this idea. Um, and I think that is a helpful way to helpful way to enter into conversations. And then it does get frustrating, though, like, Dimitri, when you mentioned um, how older adults want us to be the next generation of leaders. And then you start leading and they say, whoa, 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 not like that. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I want you to be a leader in my absence, mm-hmm. but not away from me. Mm-hmm. You know, Oh, that's great language. Take, that. take this idea. Like, I want you to pro- I want you to propel what I've been working on forever. And just like, I appreciate the legacy and I appreciate the tradition and I appreciate the learning. But you can't you can't pass the baton and tell me how to hold it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Like you have to pass it and say, "Well, that's it. I did what I could do. I got as far as it's like the marathon, right? I got as far as I could. This is where I went. I did what I did, and now it's up to you. And you're gonna. We have to take it in different directions because we know more new information, right? The world is constantly learning, and you know, and in another twenty years, the generation below us is gonna be like, "Wow, look at these people. They're so old fashioned." Right? No, We're, I'm be like Biden. I'm still up. Yeah, here. right. Yeah, with <laughs> aviator this, sunglasses. Now, though, <laughs> well, these, these Gen I, Z kids don't think I'm far left enough. So I, had a, <laughs> I had a conversation with my niece, and I had to have her. She she we had a whole conversation, and then after it was done, I was like, "Listen, I need you to go back to the start of that conversation and translate it for me because <laughs> you used words I don't even know." Mm-hmm. Right? And so like we're already aged out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. On gang. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> but this is the cycle, yeah. I think. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we're almost at the top of the hour and close to a break. So, like, just, you know, bringing it full circle, right? So, like, um, you know, kind of going back again to that, that why, you know, why is this rising up? Why is this discomfort? Why do we want you at the table, right? Like, knowing that, like, everyone has value, knowing that, like, we can have these conversations, knowing that we can disagree and still have those relationships and those bonds. Um, and I, I think that's what's important is, you know, just, um, again, that, that, that knowledge, understanding the growth of time and transition. And so um, I'm already inspired by this conversation. Um, I got to find me some more young folks so they can keep me up with the lingo so they can train me like, I, you know, I train my mama. You it's know. a setup. <laughs> But um, listen, y'all, we're about to take a break, but we will be taking calls at 12. The number is 203-757-1320 when we're going to be doing like some dream talk and talk about policies and things that we'd like to see uh, while we're still young. (laughs) And got these Meg the Sound in these, what policies we want to see. Who's got those? (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all, we'll see you when we come back. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it does not have to be. 
With Zencaster, you have a whole tool that can make remote podcasting that much easier. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all the tech-savvy know-how. It records each guest locally, then uploads the crystal clear audio and video right into the suite so you can have the high quality raw materials that you want to work with. This works really great when my guest is talking and Preston just won't stop barking. I'm able to just cut out his barks and keep all of my guest audio. To access Zencaster and all its tools with a 30% off coupon, go to zen.ai forward slash coffee combos that's z-e-n dot a-i forward slash c-o-f-f-e-e c-o-n-v-o-s and type in the promo code coffee combos that's c-o-f-f-e-e c-o-n-v-o-s for 30% off for three months all right, party people, it is Liz here, host of Coffee and Combos podcast, which can be found on podcast listening platforms. But today, you know who I am? I am WATR host of Talk of the Town with some amazing voices of a generation, Dimitri Cole, Chernell Bush, and Bilal Tashaldeen. The generation. The generation, <laughs> right? For the next move, 40 minutes. Move over, That's Gen right. Z. We got this. Oh, don't start that. <laughs> Banging down the doors. Right? <laughs> Listen, they don't take no mess. They show up. <laughs> but so, um, folks, if you missed it, the first hour we talked about, like, having that difficult conversation, right? It's the day after Thanksgiving, right? Family feuds probably got started yesterday. Um, and you're right, people are in their feelings, right? So we talked about how do you do that? How do we bring different generations together? But I'm also a little interested in some dream talk while we are waiting on calls. So if you're interested in calling in, the number is 203-757-1320. And, you know, Bilal, I'm going to start with you, you know, about policies and, you know, things that you would like to see. Because you recently did um, an interview, I believe, on some ARPA funds. And if you don't know what ARPA means, that is the American Rescue Plan Act funding. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start by saying that on uh, this coming Monday at 9 a.m. at where we live on WNPR, there'll be a, a segment about ARPA dollars, and I'm, I've got a, a segment there in the middle of it. Um, and I think what I what I find interesting about it is, so, you know, so many people have said that the ARPA dollars, the American Rescue Plan dollars that are coming to a place like Waterbury and to all the all the towns and cities in Connecticut, is really a like people are saying it's a once in a generation kind of influx of cash. And so one of the things I have found really frustrating around um, our management of ARPA dollars is that it seems like there's really no room for the imagination that there's that there's, um, you know, a, a laundry list of things we've wanted to do for years. And now we have some extra cash. So we're we're sort of going from the the oldest idea we've had up forward and we're not having a space for new ideas and new thoughts um, and that's been a source of frustration, but I think probably there's, if folks are listening in and want to give a call and, and maybe respond to one. that, mm -hmm. yeah, we can, we can go to a call. Hi, caller. Hey, we can hear you. Thank you my call. I appreciate it. Cliff from Waterbury. Hey, listen, I want to go back to the subject at the dinner table over the holiday. Yes. One particular subject that I had, and we wanted to know if you guys, you know, even thought about it or discussed it, 
discussed it over the table was the, the issue with Kyrie Irving, okay, the basketball player at the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, and the whole subject matter of his tweet, which I thought personally was just, you know, I, I don't think it was warranted with the discipline, but more so, you know, he referenced a book, Hebrews to Negroes, and this was by author Ronald Dalton, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with it or even heard anything about the issue. What was the tweet? I did want to get your thoughts, but what he basically said was this whole scenario or issue was in relationship to the Old Testament in the Bible, you know, in terms of who are the original Jewish people, you know, and so he has documentation, he has footage, you know, and basically saying it was people of color, black people are the original Jews. So just want to get your thoughts and your input if you did discuss it or if you guys are even familiar with the whole issue. And I'll hang up with your response <laughs> if that's appropriate. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks, Cliff. Um, so Liz had a question, what was the tweet? Uh, there was no caption to the tweet. He kind of just shared a, a video uh, related to to the book. Clearly, right, I know nothing that. about Twitter other than it was about to, like, implode. <laughs> well, so I'll, I'll say this because I don't, I don't think this is this is specifically the platform to get into the deep dive and nuances that come into that. But I will say um, when it comes to Kyrie Irving specifically, because that was the question um, and the discipline that followed, I think with Kyrie, uh, unfortunately, Kyrie doesn't do himself many favors because he doesn't articulate his thoughts and feelings well. He'll kind of just put things out and then wait for people to react. Um, he's also a person who, and whether he is or not, is not up to me, but believes himself to be a free thinker. And I think a lot of times thinks he is more informed, aware, smarter than the rest of us are. Um, and so he doesn't feel the need to respond to everything. Um, but we also need to recognize that how we exist, um, we don't exist in vacuums or silos, and that there are words that in in a compounding of words and thoughts, feelings that without context and without, again, the given nuance that are hurtful. Right. And as a person who, you know, grew up in the church and went through the, the Old Testament thoroughly and as a person who's heard these conversations with black folks and the, uh, the, Isra the black Israelites and all these things where we're having those conversations that are tenuous and touchy, you got to recognize that there are spaces for them. And if you want people to hear them that are not, melanated right then that door has to be opened where you're actually talking with people who identify as jewish people not just who's the original but how they're existing in the world today and i think that's where Kyrie kind of missed the mark i mean other people have missed the mark in that um people can believe how they believe as long as again there is a, a dignity given to the other people in the conversation and oftentimes in our in our goal to be right and righteous, we're okay with victimizing others. And I mm -hmm. think as long as we put our, our intent forward and welcome those people, we don't talk about people without people, right? right? Let those people into the conversation, then it wouldn't have blown up the way it did. Now, discipline and stuff like that, the NBA is, up, is able to do what they want. The, his employer is able to react the way they do. He works for the Brooklyn Nets, high Jewish population, ha, like, do with that what you will. Like, But you can't ostracize a huge group of people in your own community. So... Like, that's up to them to figure out. But Kyrie's got to do a better job of just explaining himself, I think. Thank you for that call. Do we have another caller? Okay. Caller, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Ty Mendez Rand calling from Bunker Hill. Hey. And I, was just trying, <laughs> I was just trying to touch back on the um, stigma around marijuana in the city and in the country and in the world. Yeah, go ahead. How, uh, 
I think it really comes from just getting better education sources and such as Kennedy. And I mean, you guys talked about the D.A.R.E. program you were a part of, but at Kennedy, they just shared a lot of fair inducing videos about like how bad marijuana is. Honestly shared some inaccurate uh, psychology and science stuff about the drug because that's what was known at the time. But I think if we can revamp that and show it to the to the youth and really teach about the whole spectrum from soft drugs to hard drugs mm. or whatever we're talking about, because I mean, fentanyl and opioids are really hitting Waterbury in that. Um, we got to really think about how we information and if we start with the youth then we won't have the problems getting into where we have now where there's these misconceptions everywhere but then again you can't put uh, older community members through high school so maybe we can have more community-based discussions about oh, I like that. different drugs and stuff mm-hmm. um below do you have anything or yeah okay. no i I, I, after you. I agree i think that um having moving these conversations out of traditional or closed educational spaces like a K through 12 or a high school or something uh, and into a community, I think is a, a way more effective strategy. It actually leads to people understanding and learning more rather than closing conversations up early. I do think um, the scare tactics are just such a popular way to, to push ideas without information. It goes back to what you're saying earlier, Liz, like, well, these are, or Dimitri, these are facts. These aren't necessarily feelings, right? You feel a certain way about a thing. That's fine. But what are the actual, the facts about it? And when you're in Waterbury and you have such a, uh, a rising number of opioid-related deaths and, and you know, you see news articles saying, well, check your, you know, your kid's candy because people <laughs> are lacing it with fentanyl and marijuana and all yeah. these drugs, right? Which... Um, only contribute to the sense of fear then we're like we're locked into a holding pattern absolutely and i'm glad you you know touched on the fear because i, I think that we use that as a, a tactic and i think that we need to do a better at trusting people's decision making because people have a right to make choices right and those choices we may not always agree with and marijuana, like cigarettes, like alcohol, right? It's a choice. And if you choose to use this, how do you do it responsibly? How do you know when you're not using it responsibly? What are, where, where can you get help? What does getting help look like? And so I think just really presenting that information of like, hey, this is what's out here. You make your decision, um, you know, and being transparent. Like I would rat and like even like as parents, right, when you're talking to your kids, right, like, hey, I would prefer you not do this, but the reality is you are an individual who's going to make choices, and I'm this, this, this is the support I can and am willing to offer you, but I think having that level of transparency about your feelings, biases, whatever, um, but also presenting the information so people can make their own decisions, so. You have another caller? All right, caller, you are on the air. Go ahead. Hey, guys, this is Dwayne Pittman. How are you guys doing? Hey, hey Dwayne. Dwayne. Good morning. Good afternoon. <laughs> So I was listening, and I just wanted to touch the subject of the division of generations. Mm -hmm. um, I feel a good thing, a real important thing to look at is when it comes to division, I remember as a child, my grandfather took me to Board of Aldermen meetings, Board of Education meetings, and it had me involved in campaigns. So I continued to cycle with my son and had him involved in the same thing and through that process. We had other kids his age that saw him that were interested in things that we were doing. And that's where it goes back to becoming a village. A village raises these families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand that when we have these villages, we have to go out 
and really connects with people. Like I, I listened to Blount say he has friends that his neighbors. How many people do we really know that can walk outside and say hello to their neighbor? Because everyone's just stuck in their own bubble. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is, is really teach the youth at a young age. We can't wait until these kids are in high school and decide to want to help them and put them in what we call programs or things like that. If you think about it back in the day with the Black Panther Party, they started training these kids at five years old. Mm-hmm. So we have to really put back into our community at the youngest age possible. Because when you think about it, when you're in high school, your mind is pretty much, you feel like your mind is made up already. You know everything. You can't, you can't really tell them anything because their mind is already Five made up. Five years and you're just like, oh, I don't know anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. But when you, when, you, when you educate them at a young age, which isn't done in the schools, of politics, of policies, of how they could use their voice, they become powerful young adults because they're, they're mentally and they're, and they're taught and they're trained on all these situations. So when it comes with a divide and generations, I believe that when people go to, if I go to an autumn meeting, I see a lot of the older generation. Why are we not bringing our grandkids? Hmm. Why are we bringing our nieces, our nephews to these meetings? So we can understand what's going on. So when it's their turn to take over, they're already well equipped. Yeah. So I really think that's something we should really start pushing out as far as if you're going to go to a meeting, bring your kids. They're, they're welcome just as anybody else. So it's fun to put that out there. Yeah, thank you for that. Because what I really hear you say is, is modeling, right? Really modeling appropriate behavior. Um, and in my opinion, I think we can see over, you know, COVID how we have all these vi- videos of adults walling and, you know, how that affected kids, right? They modeled that. And so it's important to model the other side as well. Um, any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm reminded too. Dwayne, about your comment, right? Take take you know friends and neighbors and young people in your lives to these these political meetings or um, meetings around our civic infrastructure. And the other half of that, I think, is really should be a call to the civic infrastructure to make sure that these meetings are accessible, easy to find, easy to participate into. You know, I I've been to board of alder meetings where you know even even during the public comment section, a resident might get cut off. Because, you know, on this particular day, we have to talk about the thing at hand, right? We can't we can't use public comment to say something about the public. We have to use public comment to respond directly to something on the agenda. And sometimes that's not clear. Oh, I didn't realize that. What meeting those are, you know? So I, I've, I've seen people, like, come ready to speak about something, and then they, you know, they're like, oh, sorry, actually, you can't talk about that because we have to talk about A, B, and C. And they're like, well... I, I'm not prepared to talk about A, B, and C. I'm I want to get what thing. I want to get on the record on the record. Well, because when you hear, you know, when you hear your city's legislative body is meeting to have a and having a public comment, then you assume rightfully that you are entitled to make a comment about the general public. Um, so it's it's you know absolutely. I think we all have an obligation to go to these meetings and bring friends and family. And um, I hope that these meetings are remain open and transparent and get more transparent and open and, and easy to get to. Can these meetings also just get less boring? If we show I up, mean, probably. <laughs> shade, but no shade, but <laughs> um, anyone else? Well, I, I would probably just piggyback that I, I kind of, I agree with Dwayne wholeheartedly, like modeling kind of how we need to move and how we need to work together. I think that intergenerational community is the only way to move. Um, I think Bilal said it earlier that older folks have a place in every conversation and no one's trying to put them out. But I think that 
again, the, the some of the onus or a majority of the onus needs to fall on people who are in positions of power, mm-hmm. access, and influence to make those things accessible to everyone, to make people feel included in that, to be audacious enough. Everyone in this on this panel here has run for office, right? To be audacious enough to say, I want to represent you, mm-hmm. right? Whatever ego, that little ego or a lot of ego that goes into that should also make you say, I want to represent you in the best way. How do I make myself available to you? Mm-hmm. And when you go to alderman meetings, let's just say, like, like for what it is, like they're, like, they're not exciting. Like, would I bring my five-year-old to an alderman meeting? Will they be receptive to what they're seeing and hearing? Because it is kind of monotonous and boring and, like, just kind we've of— We've already made right. the decision before we've come, so what's the point of exactly. using my If there's no there. conversation happening, if they're not seeing debate happen, is that—why is that, do why do I have to come back then and then— contextualize and paraphrase everything that they witnessed and because that becomes that might become a little bit laborious too but also you know that being said like where where do we get people involved outside of those chambers Mm -hmm. like are we having community conversations with kids are our legislators and aldermen and all the people all the officials elected officials having those conversations where they'll actually answer the questions that the kids have Mm -hmm. where kids will feel heard and seen like, how often do we talk to middle schoolers, elementary schoolers, or even high schoolers, mm. ever? Like, I've never seen it happen. All right. Caller, we can hear you. Yeah, this is Nick. How are you? Hey, Listen, Nick. I got an excellent proposal for you guys. I've been on uh, public access television for 30 years. I've been trying to get Channel 16 to work along with you guys on exactly what you guys are talking about. You got to have the old and the young. I'm doing a documentary, a 100-year documentary, of all of us old-timers all the way back and all the way down to you kids so you can speed up your operation, what you guys want to do. But I need your support to come on out there, get on Channel 16, get on uh, Sky Cable 13 like I did for 30 years, and that's how you're going to get your messages out because I've done everything you guys are talking about, basketball games, football games, all kinds of community events, and now I'm 85 years old. God bless. You said we should come together. Well, now's a great time to come together with us. Older people, with your younger people, take a little advice from us, and we'll take a little advice from you. And we have to break the ice here so that we'll work together, not only in Waterbury, but in the entire country and in the entire community. And you say you've been all involved with politics. Well, that's fine. I don't know what party you are. I don't care if you're Democratic or Republican. I don't care what your religions are or anything else. But we all lack one thing. God is first, number one. We're all Christ's children. We're all brothers and sisters. And until we learn to act properly with one another, together with one another, we are not going anywhere. So these are some of the issues. I'd love to have you guys on my TV show, and we can bring out a lot of this stuff out on TV. I don't know if you know who I am, but I've been out there 30 years doing this, beating the drums for 30 years for you kids. All right. Thank you so much for that offer. Very flattered. Um, uh, to the point where you said, you know, take what the old and, and the, the, the new. Um, some unsolicited advice, right? Really thinking about um, what is it that you want to do with the public access television, right? So, like, that's really great that you're using that platform and that's a platform that you're comfortable with. But I think that um, some things that I notice um, it, with the intergenerational intergenerational divide is 
um, older generation is going to stick with technology that is comfortable for them. And that's true for the younger generation, right? And so if you want to reach that younger generation, is public access the way to do it, right? Really think about, you know, then there's lots of data and metrics out there, right? Um, what is the, the way to reach them, right? Whether that is through TikTok, whether that is through a podcast, whether that's through a blog, but really thinking about what is what is the, the age range so that you can get your, your goal achieved. Because I think sometimes what happens with the older generation is they put something out and then the younger generation doesn't respond the way they want them to. And then there's this narrative of the younger generation is apathetic. Um, they don't want to hear us. And it's just the, the medium that is con- consumed is just vastly different. So that's just some unsolicited advice. And um, we'll end here because uh, we have a little bit of a break. But when we get back, we'll take some more calls and talk, you know, policy. And the number is 203-757-1320. See you in a few. Welcome back, everyone. Happy post-Turkey Day. This is your host, Liz, and I'm here with Dimitri, Charnel, and Bilal. And we are hanging out at WATR on this Talk of the Town takeover. And we're just taking some calls. And if you want to call in and talk about, um, you know, what's going on in the community or thoughts that you're having, it's 203-757-1320. While we wait on a few calls, um, we were also talking about um, Dream Talk, a.k.a. Policy Talk, and um, Bilal was talking about this opportunity he had to be on WNPR and um, I'm interested in hearing more of your thoughts will all like what is like um, a policy or a change that you'd like to see or that you would like to to you know champion in this new year yeah so we were saying right before we took our first call that uh, you know we have this influx of cash coming from the federal government to support you know the American Rescue Plan sort of the rebuilding things that have taken a hit during COVID over the last over the last three years right and and we are sort of allocating our dollars it seems to me now i'm going to i'm going to couch what i'm about to say because i'm not really able to find clear information right which isn't of itself part of the situation part of the landscape and so what i'm seeing is that we're using these dollars to sort of go back to our our city wish list and mm-hmm. say you know here are the projects we've been working on for years now that we have these dollars let's let's add them into it right um, there was, as far as I know, uh, seeing a, 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 a timeline from the city, there was only one meeting where public comment and, from the general public was allowed um, and, and solicited, and I, that was in September, and then that's about it. And basically, at some point now, I think the committee has already met to approve applications. Um, and so I guess my question to the rest of us is, you know, if we had this $74 million, right, in our in our pocket to spend in Waterbury, what would you want to see happen? I would invite mm-hmm. callers to call in at 203-757-1320 if you have an idea or a thought about uh, what you would want to see some money go to, right? And this is not a conversation for either this or that, right? Let's assume we have enough. What would you want to see? And I was telling Liz earlier that one thing I would like to see is to have every every bus stop in the city have shelter yeah. around it. Um, there are so many bus stops where, you know, it's just it's a it's a sign in the grass and that's it. So if you're coming from shopping, you're either holding your groceries, they're on the floor. There's one going up North Main behind the stop and shop plaza where it's just it's a sign in the grass. And I see people of all ages, some with children, some with bags sitting on turned over shopping carts while they wait for the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and obviously there's an expense to that, right? We have a lot of bus stops and a mm-hmm. lot of buses. I would love to see a priority being put on making sure that folks who are using public transportation to get from point A to point B aren't going to get wet in the rain, aren't going to get snowed on, you know, aren't going to have to sit on the grass or on the dirt or on a shopping cart while they wait for the bus to come. And so mm-hmm. I'm wondering if folks have other other thoughts on what would you like to see? You know, we got $74 million coming down. What do you want to see happen? Listen, I got my two, but I'm gonna, I'll pass it to, you know, either Charnel or Dimitri first. Well, I don't my, – my thing isn't – Money related per se, but I mean, before you even do that, you have to have sidewalks, right? That Ooh, people that yeah, don't yeah, absolutely. Stuff on, right? yeah. And I know we talked about it in the past, but that was my little comment right there. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, yeah, you if you want to walk to the bus stop, right, you have to walk on the main road to get to it, right? <laughs> absolutely. One of the things I've always I, I wish Waterbury would do that Hartford and Bridgeport and New Haven have done. Like, I work in Bridgeport. And in the last six months, there's been these gorgeous murals that have gone up on the oh, side of buildings yeah. and on underpasses. There's one where it's like the men in black, like, you know, like an alien abducting right outside the school I work at. And like I would love to see places like the North End in Brooklyn be like covered in art, mm-hmm. like sponsoring like artists to come in, local artists to come in and just like paint their communities. I think for us. It. To, um, not Sorry, to cut you off. No, I think the thing we have to get over first is some of our mentality because Bilal was right there with me. What were we told when we wanted them? We were on a fence was this isn't New York. We don't do that here. Do the aesthetic of the neighborhood. Well, I think that's the problem. The only neighborhoods that have true aesthetic that people fight for are, sorry, Bully Manor. Uh, Bunker Hill. Sometimes, right? This, a this was not a Bully Manor conversation. <laughs> no, nah, Bully I'm Manor was right. At, listen, Bully Manor ready supports. To, <laughs> I know. Right? I know. I'm just saying. But when we talk about when we're trying to characterize neighborhoods and things like that, the ones that we talk about, right? Like, namely, honestly, Bunker Hill and Town Plot. And we're not New York. However, we are. So many of us are transplants of correct places close to New York from major cities. We are new young people coming into the city or taking like kind of taking on rental responsibilities ourselves. And so why not make the community start to look like the people who live here now? Mm, We have to get like I am. I get so frustrated. We talk about like older generations because they hold control for so many pieces that we want to change is if we're going to really collaborate and be a community. It also means being able to let go of some of the things that you have in hopes that other people will take on roles and do well with what you've already done. We have to trust that other people are going to be good stewards, mm-hmm. right? And young people want to be. And so I think having those things, like I drive I drive home every day and it's nothing but concrete and asphalt, Yeah. right? And I mean, we've got the, the Marshall around the corner. There's a couple of bars. But I mean, when when kids are waiting for the bus stop, it's just gray. And nothing but stoplights. So I would love to see just some color to make people feel happy to be in their communities and be feel proud of their neighborhoods. Absolutely. And, you know, um, caller, we're interested to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, hey, this is Izzy from Maryland. Uh, I just have a... Hey. So this is already briefly touched. Hey, this, this is already briefly touched on. But, um, yeah, walkable neighborhoods. Like, I love Bully Manor, for instance. But it's like... Even in Woolly Manor, which is, like, one of the examples that was given, there's, like, not really, like, ways to, like, get around on foot. Right. You kind of have to have a car. And mm-hmm. that's, like, you know, classic American problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if, what, if, the, if the main goal is to, like, for example, make Waterbury, like, a uh, just more, like, prosperous economically, why not invite? Because, like, cars nowadays are so expensive. We mm-hmm. all know this. It, to, to even ha- get one and maintain it. If you, if you, no matter how you do it, whether it's like 
sidewalks and community spaces, more public transit options, more like business centers that are within walkable distance, right. just like creating creating like more economic opportunity for the people that live there and want to live there, making it more accessible without having to like spend, I don't know, like multiple hundreds hundreds of dollars per month just to have a vehicle mm-hmm. is like hugely beneficial. You'd attract so many people who would like like input money into the local economy. So, you know, it's uh, walkable neighborhoods. I love that. Absolutely. I love the excitement in your voice, too. And, you know, again, when we're thinking about quality of life, equity, right, how cool would it be for some of these neighborhoods where there is difficult, you know, um, or lack of walkability to have grocery stores and things of that nature, um, entertainment, because um, it hurts my soul when I see people walking up Long Hill from the grocery store. I'm just like, oh, my God, how nice would it have been if there was a grocery store um, at the top of the hill? Um, we have another call unless anyone has some feedback. Well, I just want to I want to plug something really quickly. The Naugatuck Valley Council of Governments is doing a metropolitan transportation plan survey that closes on November 30th. And so residents are invited to to put feedback on how they transport themselves from point to point. Um, but you can find that by Googling it. We're going to their website. If you have the link, will you put it in our Facebook chat? I will. Thank you. All right, caller, we are ready for you. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. I just want to pay you guys a compliment. Uh, you all speak very well. Thank you. Don't you. Step, you don't step on one another, and especially you, Miss Hostess. Oh. You should have your own show. Oh, I do, sir. Coffee and Combos with Liz. It's a podcast. You got to look me uh, up, but thank you. Okay. Yeah, I will. Yeah, that's all I want to say. You guys impressed me very oh, much. Well, thank you, sir, for your call. You have a wonderful day. As well as you. Thank, Bye. thank you. Oh, that was that was so sweet. <laughs> Right. Uh, I, I think also like that, to that point. Right. And, and Waterbury, it's a little bit like you kind of brace yourself because there's so much to complain about sometimes or sometimes that's the only time we show up to spaces. Right. Like whenever there's a community meeting, it's because it's something that's gone wrong. And if we normalize community meetings or community spaces, we can get the good with the bad. Um, so that's just my little aside. But, uh, you know, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's, it's always it's fun. Um I love doing this because, you know, the four of us are we, we are friends. And I think sometimes when we come on the air, there's like there's a perception of like a unified front. <laughs> but what people don't often see is the past three years of us having these conversations with each other. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where we all come with a different perspective to yeah. start. And we've had to, you know, I mean, I I've learned so much from everyone here and from the rest of our teams and friends. Um and like those conversations, you know, go in all sorts of ways. But but we have a we have a friendship and a relationship where we can throw an idea out there and say like, what do you guys think? Like what and how how do you think about this? And what can I learn from you? And I think it's because the end goal is the same, and the conversation is just how we get there. The end goal is just to make someone else's life a little better, right? And and essentially that that's what politics was and is supposed to be right like we all have the goal that we are all human we all deserve and respect whatever how do we get there and you know i think if we can get back to that there would be less of a divide but i'll get off my soapbox uh (laughs) what um what other policies or things would we like to see you know happen i thought you were supposed to i thought you had two listen are you ready okay let's hear boom First thing I have just found out about this thing. Um, so there's an upcoming podcast episode about sustainability, and I can't wait for y'all to hear it. Um, this season, we're, I'm having a lot of different conversations about, I would say, different types of activism. And the sustainability one was very interesting. 
and um, in watching another show about just sustainability and the environment, um, I found out that Connecticut has a couple zero waste um, grocery stores. Do you all know what that is? No, oh, I can guess. Listen, so <laughs> zero waste. So like, just say um, you have a jar and instead of like, you know, you going to ShopRite, which has no longer been there, right? Where you might get 10 oranges in a bag and half of them waste because you don't eat all that. Maybe you're single or whatever, or maybe you're just family only needs a couple. You would get, you know, what you need. So whether that's flour, instead of buying a whole bag of flour, you get what you need and you can do that in like jars and things like that. So that again, you're instead of using bags or plastic, you know, you're not wasting anything when you're the jars over, you just get, you know, bring it back. And so um, the closest one I think is like in Newtown. I think there there was one um, up towards like, I think maybe past West Hartford, but I would like to see us try to, um, fund some zero waste grocery stores. And I think that would really shift economically for some families, right? So when you're deciding between this pack of meat or something that's frozen, why don't you just get what you need, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of us throwing out all this waste, you know, getting, you know, what you need, what your family's going to have for this time um, versus I'm only going to be able to go to the grocery store this one time. So let me pack up and then half of it's wasted. So um, really supporting some zero waste initiatives as well as tech, so um, I think we really lack in, in tech here, and it hurts my soul because there's so many opportunities our kids, adults, just people in our city can have uh, as far as entrepreneurship, as far as jobs. And we always talk about manufacturing or all this, this industry where the growth rate isn't going anywhere. And, and tech is, is growing and tech meaning, you know, whether that is podcasting, whether that's on how to be a kid an entrepreneur, because like there are kids out there who are making money, whether that's how do you, you know, use gaming for income, how, whether that's, you know, you know, some of these creative tech industries, you know, giving our kids some hope. How do you just go from, you know, to authorship, right? Like, you know, how do you use technology as a, as a means of, um, of employment and entrepreneurship. So I would love to see some investment there. Yeah. And, and shameless plug for um, one of our friends, Hector Navarro, who recently was appointed to the board of ed and has his own nonprofit brass city gamers that looks at just that, uh, how to bring STEM and streaming and tech to young people in a way that says, actually here's some money streamers make. And it's, mm-hmm. it's real money, you know, sure. and, and to sort of, you know, I know Hector's very passionate about bringing bringing technology and updated technology to the public school system. Love it. But I I, I think this goes back to kind of, and I don't want to keep pointing fingers, but that's what I do, is that it goes back to who has the power to make these decisions mm. and what exactly do we value? Because we see people stand in front of podiums and take pictures all year round about money going to a manufacturing, fa- yeah. uh, you know, the arena and how we're doing this and bolstering these things. But we're, I, I feel like I've said on this show, like how kids are making money nowadays. Like it's not just a means of making money, but it's a means of skill building. These kids are making full on movies and series on TikTok. Like we laugh, like I yell at kids all the time at work and at home with my niece. Like, like we're in the grocery store. Please stop TikToking. Like, like, you know, but there is a skill set there. I, mm-hmm. I, I always reference back to when we were on MySpace days. I'm, a, I'm an elder millennial, I guess. But 
when we were coding by accident. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know out what of that I, music, right? But HTML we were, but code. We were doing that something that people were being paid well for. Yeah, and we were just doing it in our bedrooms mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in the library, and now have no idea how to do it. Have no idea, no recollection whatsoever. So like. When it comes to people, like we talk about taking advice from younger people, making sure that people who are older always in Waterbury and have the means and the ability to support younger people and what their generation needs and looks like now, mm-hmm. they actually need to incorporate them into the conversations, not just by one community meeting in September, mm-hmm. but go to meet kids where they are. How come we're not meeting them in their high school gymnasiums and their yeah. school cafeterias, having those conversations? What's the most important to, thing to you right now? Mm-hmm. What's the, your favorite app? How do you learn best? Like those questions aren't being asked, but we are seeing people buy buildings from private owners and tear them down to sell them again with mm-hmm. money that we get. So like we've got to figure out exactly what do we value? And if we value our future as a city and not just the people who are sitting here with us now until God calls them home, like we really need to start investing in them. Absolutely. Say that. It's just true. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will close out the show. I think when we get back, but um, thank you. And uh, we may or may not have time for calls. So if you have a burning question, you know, call in, there's still chance. So we'll see you after the break. Hey, y'all, we have about nine minutes left on the show. So if you really want to get your question in or your comment, feel free to give us a call at 203-757-1320. Again, this is Liz um, taking over for Talk of the Town, and it has been a blast with my a few of my favorite folks, Dimitri, um, Charnel, and Bilal. And um, as we begin to close out, we'll talk about um, just final thoughts, things you'd like to leave the the audience with and Dimitri I'll pop it to you first oh yeah definitely so I was going through the comments and I'll be very, I'll be as brief be very brief I was looking through the comments and um Raf a friend of ours uh he had a suggestion or a question of using ARPA, ARPA funding for supportive housing mm-hmm. now um naturally this means something I'm kind of biased against this because my professional background you know for the past three four years after college or whatever I've been working in housing more particular in renting um, and there's two things I learned um, while doing this type of work. It is, one, a lot of people who face homelessness or enter into homelessness are either disabled mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. And um, the second thing is how close the average person is to homelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm working in the homeless shelter, I've seen people who literally owned a house for 27 years right. enter into homelessness. You know, mm-hmm. they were paying off. They only have three more years to pay off on their mortgage. And then there's people who just can't work anymore or people who just need um, resources and, you know, the social cues to remember to pay their rent or, you know, to physically uh, remember that they have to pay their rent in a certain time. Um, so, uh, um, believe it or not, um, Connecticut is in a housing crisis, especially post COVID. Um, you know, I'll be in another article, I think in the CT post or the mirror, one of those two that, um, this was dated back in March that we're on track to the highest eviction rates, um, since 2017, and I think Waterbury actually is at the top of that list, believe it or not. Um, and then, you know, working with these clients to get themselves back into housing, um, it's, a, it's a problem because, you know, now there's prerequisites. Um, you know, got to make at least three times the rent. you got to have at least a 650 mm-hmm. credit score. And um, I find myself 
battling more with large corporate realty companies mm. rather than actual people that I could sit down and have a conversation to and um, actually, uh, you know, try to advocate for my client, right. you know. So um, those are things that really need to be talked about pretty soon. Um, I know there's been talk about fair rent commissions coming to towns. I think the state passed a legislation recently. I forgot exactly the name, um, but saying that each town needs to establish a fair rent commission by mm -hmm. a certain date. Um, but then again, even at that point in time, um, what is fair rent? Right. You know, that's going to be an even larger debate. So um, that's a conversation for a different day. But that's just something I want people to be aware of. I think my, my last words would just be that if we're truly going to be a community, if we're going to be a place that loves to tout like citywide togetherness and cohesiveness, then we actually have to be cohesive. I think that means we reach, we have to reach old to young, rich to poor, like renter to homeowner, walker to driver. Like we've got to be able to build a city um, that supports all of us in a system that pulls all of us along with it. We can't keep being comfortable uh, leaving specific groups of people behind because we've closed them out of a process. So I would say start those conversations with your with your neighbors, start those conversations with your elected officials, with your friends on how we best do that and how we best advocate for ourselves. Yep, go ahead, Bilal. Um, I would say sort of my, my closing thoughts, um, going back to what we, we sort of opened the conversation with, is to, to resist as much as you can a failure of the imagination, mm. right? When you hear something new, we just, none of us, we don't have the time and we, we are, none of us are well off enough to immediately put an idea out of our head, right? right? We can't just dismiss something and we really have to take time deliberately to, to listen to new ideas and to listen to people and to um, hear hear what makes them believe what they believe in, like you were saying earlier, Dimitri. Um, that's what I would probably say. Fantastic. All right. With me? All right. Ladies, I'm coming for y'all today. Okay. we. I don't think I had one call today from a female. I think they were all male callers. Ladies, I want you to step up. I want you to use your voice. I want you to be better advocates for yourself and your community because we need your voice. We need your voice in these conversations. Um, and and to, to men folk, right? If you know, sometimes, right, ladies can be a little bit more quiet, it's a little bit more passive, invite them to the conversation, right? If you're listening to WATR saying like, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you want to say? And let them say, you know, speak. Um, I've been in this past year too many conversations where like I agree with what my husband said will you say the same thing too I want to hear from you mm. or you know like you know defaulting to the males in the room or thinking that you can't so uh, ladies I'm, I'm requiring more of you in, in 2023 mm. okay that's my spiel that's my soapbox um, that's right right ladies and you're better than me <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a firm believer that women are smarter than me, always. <laughs> Almost always. Now, mind you, I'll be the first to call on a man when there's a spider because I'm not doing that's not my area of Stop. genius. Okay? Not Liz leaning wow. into biological essentialism. 100. Not Come my on. area of genius. But <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to, you know, advocacy, you know, ladies, we want to hear you um, in whatever, whatever medium that is, whether that's blogging, whether that's community conversations. Um, but we want to hear you, want to hear your voice. And so. Um, callers, thank you to everyone who called in. Um, it was a valuable conversation. Um, I couldn't think of a better way to spend a Black Friday, but I'm getting ready to go eat some leftovers. So uh, we'll end with that. Thank you, WATR, for this time and this opportunity. And we can't wait for the next time that we get to chat with you. Bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.